Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is a podcast from the Smart Material Collective, made by nerds, funded by the listeners. Is hair a material? Are biscuits a material? Are crystals a material? Is plastic a material? Is porridge a material? Can gases be a material? Are eggs a material? Is water a material? What do you call everything that isn't a material? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at your question. And yet you continue to do so. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Real Talk, the podcast that interviews makers, artists, fanboys and enthusiasts about materials. This episode, I talked to Louisa Penfold. Louisa has a background in visual art and education and is now a curator who works with young children in art museums. Her work focuses on the role that materials can play in children's learning. The focus of our conversation was on plastics, but I started by asking Louisa why it's important to incorporate any materials into children's learning. At the moment, like in the United Kingdom, in terms of like how curriculum is being developed in schools, and this is from a primary school level right through to high schools, there's a huge emphasis on numeracy and literacy and children developing skills in these two particular areas. And a lot of the skills that are taught in numeracy and literacy, it's being taught through very structured learning experiences where children are sitting at desks and listening to what is happening uh, and, and then learning is being assessed through standardised tests uh, that start at a very young age. So the kind of effects that this is this can have on children is that it creates very like linear ways of thinking and very much with a focus on words and with numbers. So at the basis of this topic is really a debate on the sort of on the politics of knowledge and particular forms of knowledge like through words and numbers being privileged over other forms of knowledge such as through play with materials and i would absolutely argue that materials create divergent ways for people to learn, not just children, but for everyone. And I think this is something that artists and designers connect with very well, because even as adults, they're still exploring materials and and developing these sorts of knowledges, but it's through clay and through paint and through sound and through all of these different things that's not necessarily represented in school curriculum at the moment. And, and this is not to say that play with materials or that you know art is more important than literacy and numeracy, but I, I guess I am suggesting that they should be given equal weight within school curriculum. So what this then suggests is that we need to think about how we can support children's creative learning in other ways. So think about thinking about how they can learn through materials in other spaces, such as at home or in libraries or in art museums, for example. 
But I think this this kind of conversation on why children's play with materials matters, it's kind of also inextricably linked to conversations or debates around how learning is being evaluated and Mm. evaluated in schools. At the moment, like a lot of assessment has been based around looking for these cause and effect relationships in which a concept or idea is introduced and then measured through a standardised test to see if that child has like retained that information. And so where this becomes really difficult in terms of like children's learning with materials is that it it doesn't necessarily account for kind of like a dynamic and creative outcomes and they're kind of critical and creative processes. So measuring learning with materials using that kind of really standardised learning framework, it just doesn't work. So something at the moment, I'm currently doing my PhD uh, in the School of Education at the University of Nottingham uh, in partnership with Tate and the Whitworth Art Gallery. And a big part of my research has really been trying to look at how we develop a kind of an evaluative process for looking at children's learning through play with materials and how can that can be done around valuing creative and critical processes and giving visibility to those. So a big part of that is I've taken an evaluative methodology that is used in early childhood centres in northern Italy in a town of Reggio Emilia and they use this process which is called pedagogical documentation which is all about making young children's learning visible through using like photographs and videos and recording what children do with with materials and using those records then as a point of reflection to thinking about how children uh, develop different critical and creative learning processes and how they also explore different concepts through their play. So, you know, like playing with uh, clay and looking at how they explore things like construction and measurement and gravity and size and shape. So, using those records as a point of reflection and then for further inquiry to think about what else we can do in the future with them. Is this a more kind of fair playing field for children who perhaps learn in different ways or have different skill sets? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's applicable to all children of all ages, uh, but in particular, I think it's incredibly important in relation to children who find it very difficult to learn through words and numbers. So children that may have special needs or different sensory learning um, requirements. And so sitting down at a desk and listening to what is happening is really tricky. So uh, thinking about how we can design different learning environments that allow different children to follow their own interests and curiosities and uh, learn through their senses. I think that's a really integral thing as well is that when you go to school and you are, list, you are learning through words and numbers, there's such an emphasis on cognitive development. But also it's really important to think about the kind of social and emotional and embodied processes, how we learn through our senses. And that's what materials really so strongly offer in terms of children's learning is the ability to learn through uh, touch and smell and through taste and through hearing and in these really multimodal ways So how old is this idea then of incorporating materials into the learning environment? Is this a new field or have we been doing it for a long time? (laughs) 
I would absolutely say that it's been going on for hundreds of years, as is materials in terms of artistic uh, experimentation as well. But in particular, in terms of children's learning, like the the origins of it can be seen going right back to the invention of the kindergarten, which was done by Frederick Froebel back in the 1700s, I think, in Germany. And so a big part of what Froebel thought about when he was developing kindergartens was this idea, he used this term gifts and he that it was basically these kind of material um, kind of like little toolkits that he would give to kids and they could play through these. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's going right back to the 1700s. And since then, there's been a lot of other uh, educators and psychologists who have also discuss the importance of materials in children's learning. However, all of these different people have talked, have positioned materials in slightly different ways. Like, for example, if we look at the work of Piaget, who was a very famous development psychologist who looked at children's learning through different stages of biological development, he talked about uh, materials in terms of children's manipulation. So, in the sense that uh, as a child developed through different stages of development, that they were then able to do different things with the materials based on their kind of their biological or their physical being or their biological physical state. And so, but what that kind of suggests is that there's this separation between uh, the development of the child and their interaction with the materials. So yeah, suggesting there's, there's kind of like that. I guess, divide between the two. So if your brain hasn't developed enough physically, you wouldn't be able to do a certain thing, for example. Exactly, yeah. And so then we have like different um, education theorists since then, like Montessori and Steiner and uh, different educators from Reggio Emilia, which is this town in Italy that I've been very influenced by as well. And they talk about materials in relation to children's self-expression or representation of their inner worlds, which is really interesting. Like in all of those education theories, materials are an integral part of everything they do in their learning setting with the kids. However, this idea of self-expression or like um, or what they, the children do with materials as being as a representation, it also suggests this divide between children and the material in the sense that the child has a kind of like thought process, a cognitive thought process, and then they project that onto the material. So it's kind of implicitly suggesting that there is this, that the material is passive in a way. Mm. And, you know, when we look at how materials are used then in primary and secondary schools now in like public schools, a lot of what, a lot of how children are taught is through sitting at desks. So again, it's kind of like a reduction in the amount of like sensory driven activities with materials, uh, unless students are specifically studying like art or, you know, materials are a part of science as well. Uh, But there are certainly limited opportunities for children's play with materials as they go through. So something, another idea that I have been really interested uh, in my PhD research is looking at developing a, a new way of thinking about children's learning with materials and looking at this idea of post-humanism and new materialism and how materials can be thought of as being like participants or being active in the role of learning. So, and what this is to say is that instead of a child like um, manipulating or 
a material or using it as a passive prompt for uh, putting their thought processes onto that as they play with the materials, that both the material and the child's kind of cognitive, social, emotional, embodied process um, all of, they all transform at the same time as the material transforms. So it's looking at how this idea of new materialism can be used to create an expanded idea of the relationship between people and materials and, and what, yeah, what that means in terms of learning. Amazing. So I asked you to choose one material example for this particular podcast and the material that you chose was plastic. Mm. So can you give us some examples of plastic's use in your research? Plastic is such an interesting material, I think, because there's so many different kind of debates. It's such a hot topic at the moment. Mm. And there's so many different ways in which artists have explored it, but it also has really rich possibilities for children's learning. So I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, one kind of case study that I looked at um, or worked on in my PhD research. Research. This particular activity was run in the uh, Atelier program at the Whitworth Art Gallery in Manchester. Uh, so this is a program in which children learn through different play with materials in the galleries and it's something that the Art Museum uh, put together and has been running since 2015. So in this particular activity, we had a walk around the gallery, like myself and the different the artists, and we looked at the different works in the art gallery's collection and we selected one that we thought was particularly interesting and it was a sculpture created by David Batchelor. And he had done this kind of big, um, I guess it's like a site-specific hanging sculpture called Plato's Disco, and it's... It, it has, it's made out of metal and glass, different coloured glass. And as the sun shines through the window, it creates all different projections of different colours of glass onto uh, the walls of the stairwell. And so this particular artwork, what we thought was really interesting about it was how David Batchelor had used it to explore different concepts like, through, like around colour and transparency and translucency and colour mixing. And we just thought that would be a really interesting starting point for children's play with materials in relation to those different concepts. So what we did is we had a talk about the different kind of tools and like techniques that he may have done to um, create this particular artwork and then use that to kind of brainstorm different um, materials that we could use with little kids because we were working with really littlies, like kind of like one, two, three, four-year-olds. Oh, wow, really Mm. small. Little bubbers. (laughs) And so we chose to actually uh, use the material of plastic as a substitute for glass in itself mainly because of the safety requirements like connected to that particular age group. So we looked at different cellophanes and acetate and recycled materials and we set them all up into this studio space and laid them out in a way that encouraged children to uh, play with the material in unusual ways. So what I mean by that, it wasn't just laying out this plastic on a table. It was laying it out on the ground and on the walls and over different bits of furniture and so encouraging them to learn or like to experience the space like through their bodies and in different ways. So, and what we were also really interested in is not just thinking about what children would do with the plastic, uh, but also what the plastic could do to the children. Okay. Yes, that sounds a bit weird, but it's this idea of new materialism and thinking of the material as being active in the formation of knowledge. So thinking about plastic's unique properties and how they created unique learning opportunities for children because plastic is really different to other materials. Say, for example, blocks. The unique properties of a block could be used to explore concepts around construction and gravity, measurement, size, weight, all these different things, whereas plastic and 
see-through plastic in particular gives really unique possibilities for children to explore different things, different concepts around colour and transparency, translucency, opacity. So thinking about what the plastic can do to the children. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And so then on the day... It was a drop-in activity, probably had like, I don't know, maybe 50 kids coming in with their mums and dads and playing in the space. And while they were doing this, we were taking just like little snippets of records of like different videos, uh, different uh, photographs, like little transcripts of the kids, what they were doing in the space, their their conversations, things like that. And then use that as a point of reflection to like think about how the different kids explored the space and explore the materials. And my favourite part of the day is always the reflection because you really get to sit down and think and think about what the kids have done. And it's always such creative and kind of like intricate and kind of unexpected things. So it's, it's, it's always so um, inspiring, I guess, to see what happens, what they do with it. But another thing that I think is so unique about plastic in terms of learning is that it's such a multifaceted material in the sense that there's it there's so much uh there's so many conversations going on at the moment around sustainability and plastic and in many ways it's kind of demonized as being this destructive force in the environment but at the same time it offers such unique possibilities for children's learning so we were talking a bit about the the formal education setting and kind of the traditional ways of learning would you say that when we look at materials use in the classroom, is the emphasis tending to be more towards the science aspect of the materials or the arts aspect of the materials, do you think? I think it's both, that materiality is a huge part of both artistic and scientific inquiry. And, you know, when we think more specifically about both the arts and science, like materials are a huge part of engineering and architecture and technology and design and art. And 
So, but I, I, I do think that they're kind of used and explored in different ways in those particular disciplines, like how science is taught is really different to how art is taught in schools. And so, and I think both are very important. Both are pushing new ways and new frontiers of thinking about materials. Uh, but yeah, I think that they're, they're done in very different ways and like, you know, in art, materials are kind of more seen as a space of exploration, um, a space to for people to represent their ideas through manipulating or playing with the material. Uh, whereas I guess in science, it's more like about exploring and discovering things about the scientific, about the natural world or the, about technology or about... I don't know, construction. Or, would you agree with that? Yeah, or? and I would say as well, the way that we would study materials from a scientific perspective is quite coming at it as a historical study. So when you learn about materials, you learn about all of the things that have historically been discovered about those materials up until the present day. Whereas I feel like with an artistic viewpoint of materials, you're very much looking at what can we do with this material today and how will that change it in the future? Yeah, I agree. It's like the 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 arts offer so something so important to materiality in the sense that it's so alive mm. and it's so current and there's so much more that can happen and be generated from that place. Yeah, I guess yeah, I guess because what you're doing when you're manipulating materials as an artist is you're trying to find new ways of doing things yeah. and new things to say with those materials where as scientists I think are all trying to catch up with all of the theory from hundreds of years of study already. Yes. Um and only from that point can you then try to impact the future with current research and, look, you know, applying the materials to new futuristic technologies. Yes. So I feel like with the study of materials as it is scientifically, as I say, there's a lot of catching up to do. And actually in formal education, it's not until you get to become a researcher that you actually get to start putting your own mark on those materials and contributing to the knowledge you know, the scientific knowledge base that there is. Yeah. Whereas I feel like the arts, although it's important to understand the traditions, the artistic traditions and practices that have gone before, I feel like you're encouraged much more early on in your education to put your mark on those mm. materials and do something fresh with them. Yeah. In particular, I think it, it relates to the evaluation of learning like in the arts and in uh, with materials, because from a scientific perspective, if you're using this kind of really heavily subjective and um, methodology, then it's like, oh, well, it's got no scientific basis. So it must be rubbish. But then, you know, that I think that subjectivity is really important as well, especially in terms of like in terms of children's learning, them having these encounters with materials that are deeply personal and meaningful to them. So I, I don't have a full solution to this, unfortunately, but I think that it, it is really important to acknowledge those differences and to be talking about it. And, you know, I, I think a lot of like in, in schools now, they talk a lot about STEM and STEAM and integrating science and the arts together, but there are challenges. And I think a lot of them come from this really deep epistemological difference in a way. But I think, you know, there are kind of wonderful examples of how they can work. And I'm a huge fan of like the tinkering and maker movements. And, you know, there are some wonderful groups and people out there who are doing things, you know, exploring all different sorts of things through the ways that combine both scientific and artistic inquiry. And, you know, science as well can be an extremely creative field and or it is an extremely creative field and as is art. And, you know, there's a lot of overlap 
as well. So, yeah, I think it's exciting to think what can come through bringing these areas together. So if people want to give this a go themselves, Mm. what tips would you give to parents or teachers to encourage children's learning with materials at home or at school? Yeah, so I've I've kind of put together five hot tips. Amazing. (laughs) So these are Louise's five hot tips for parents and for teachers. So I guess the the first thing that I would recommend to parents and teachers is to be selecting materials or thinking about what materials they could put in in an education setting that are really open-ended. So what I mean by this is that, you know, there are some toys out there that have a very prescribed use. And so I'm suggesting we think about ways in which we can move away from that and put children in contact with really open-ended materials. So things such as paint and clay and sand, and I would even say Lego, they have really open-ended possibilities. And I think another really important thing to think alongside this is also when we introduce the materials to the kids is not to tell them what the final outcome must be that, you know, what is what they need to make with the material. So like, for example, if you gave a child a hunk of clay, you could just see what they do with the clay to start first, because they might do things that are totally unexpected. But instead of telling them what to make with the clay, you could do other things to support their learning, such as you could like just model a different skill. Like you could show them how to roll the clay with your hands or like how to score the clay and how to like stack it on top of one another. And you could do that in a way that is like, hey, Anna, look at this. I'm going to score this clay. Or you could just sit quietly beside them and do it yourself and see if they observe you um, and do it in a kind of more passive way. But all of these things like help to open up new possibilities um, for children's experimentations. So my hot tip number two is to use familiar materials in unfamiliar ways. Oh, okay. Sounds fun. And I do have to credit this. I actually heard this term uh, from the Tinkering Studio, which is this fantastic... I guess, make a space at the, ting- at the Exploratorium in San Francisco. And they use this concept so well. And so, you know, an example of this may be, you know, using or getting different like natural materials that you'd usually see out in the garden and putting them inside and arranging them on a table or getting children to paint with them or, yeah, thinking about how you can kind of change the setting in which a child would usually see a material. And I think that kind of does something really important in terms of generating new kind of imaginative um, starting points for experimentation. Another hot tip would be to use a variety of materials and different materials that appeal to different senses. So thinking about uh, what materials may appeal to like smell, like using like different, sorry, essential oils. You could use like flowers using, yeah, different things that like support that. Or you could use like food as well as I guess as a material. Yeah, definitely. Exploration or sound. Uh, so, yeah, thinking about different materials that appeal to, you know, all all of your different senses, not just for touch. So my hot tip number, is that number three? Number four is to really think about how you can ask open-ended questions. And I would suggest like when you're having conversations with kids as they're playing with materials, that open-ended questions are really, really useful because it's opening up those points for experimentation. And I would position this, I guess, against just giving praise to children as they play with 
materials. So if they do something that's really cool, instead of being like, oh, Anna, just love what you have done with that sand, being like, Anna, I thought that was really interesting how you poured the sand from one bucket into the other and then you added in the grass and then you added in the water. What, can you tell me about that? Why did you do that? And what happened when you added the water? What Did, did the sand stay, stay the same or did it change? These sorts of questions can be really useful in encouraging children to self-reflect on their like learning process. And my hot tip number five is really to celebrate the learning process in itself. And so this can be done in many different ways. But one way that I have found to be particularly useful is through taking like little photos and little videos of children's learning and popping them up, you know, around the house or in the classroom. And why I think this is so important is that it gives visibility to the learning process and not just an emphasis on the product of learning. So, and I I, I do believe that a lot of the most juicy bits of learning and the most juicy bits to creativity, they come through the process, not in the final thing that is made. So if people want to keep up to date with your research and what you're up to, where can they find you online? The best way to follow my research is through my blog, uh, which is louisapenfold.com. And so on my blog, I do all different sorts of content around art, play, children and learning. Uh, I'm also on Instagram. I think it's louisa.penfold and on Twitter as well, just at Louisa Penfold. So yeah, I'd love to connect with other people. I'm just all about connecting with other overly enthusiastic, nerdy people who love (laughs) materials. I just... You came to the right podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for coming on Real Talk. Thank you for having me, Anna. So that was the brilliant Louisa Penfold. Thanks so much to her for coming on the show. Don't forget that you can always say hello to us on Twitter at Realtalk. That's R-I-A-L Talk. And don't forget to check out our website for additional content at realtalk.com. Thanks for listening. I've been your host, Anna Pajajski, and I look forward to seeing you in two weeks' time for the next episode of Real Talk. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.